Hello, everyone. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And this is New Tricks for Old Dogs. Our podcast features the many ways us older men and women howl at the moon, odd news items you don't normally hear about, and conversations with other old dogs who are growing bolder, not older. So if you've got 25 minutes or so, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. In this episode, the old dogs speculate on the possibilities of aging in place. We marvel at the mystery of marrying in the metaverse. We bring you another ads and fads. We enlighten you with archaeological discoveries that have changed our view of the world. We coin another bit of old doggerel. And we report on the latest opinions about aging in place. The Old Dog's conversation is with Ted Swindley, a prolific producer of prodigious proportions who developed the worldwide hit Always Patsy Cline. Stay with us. Paul? Yo. Are you ready to ramble? I think I am. I was just packing up some stuff uh, for downsizing, and it occurred to me, maybe I don't have to pack up stuff. What do you mean? Maybe we can age in place. Oh, yeah. Have you thought about that? Well, as a matter of fact, we have a pod nugget in our current episode that talks about that. Um, And there's a lot of good arguments, I think, for staying where you are. Okay, well, let me hear them. (laughs) (laughs) you stepped into that one jim you you know the familiarity of uh our home i think is a very strong pull in the direction of staying where we are uh, we have lived there now for 27 years and we're very happy with our house well i tell you this this is probably a topic that a lot of our listeners have had to wrestle with um and that is, you know, m- maintaining a big yard and a big house yeah. uh, may become too much as as you're aging. Um, and so you're considering downsizing to a condo or uh, an over 55 community or sure. something something like that. I, I don't know. I, I see in my future probably downsizing mm-hmm. uh, because you just don't need that much room as you get older. On the other hand, you know, maybe that's an argument for aging in place for some people. They don't want to get rid of their stuff. They don't want to. They they, they love their stuff. And I can understand that, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. It, it's comforting, right? Stuff. Stuff is comforting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As long as you can see the floor <laughs> in most rooms in your house. I, I don't know. I do think that it's an inevitable step that you probably want a space that is more supportive of growing old. Yeah. Well, another option, as long as you're alert enough, is, and we're discussing this too, is to get a motorhome and to live in that motorhome and go around and see the USA and see our friends prevail upon them. And uh, oh, I hate on the highway those big old RVs. Yeah, but if you're in one, it's a whole different experience. It is see? because you are the one that could inflict a lot of pain on I me. I am the road king. Yes, indeed, you are. <laughs> and you're going to tow behind you another car and uh, oh, another a trailer, another and, Winnebago. Yeah, really. Yeah, you <laughs> have a smaller one for side trips. You got to give me an idea where you're going to be in the country so I can avoid <laughs> avoid that place. 
We just report the news. We don't create it. So don't blame us for this pod nugget about people getting married in the metaverse. The source is the Daily Beast for April 23rd, 2022. Some couples recently exchanged vows in the metaverse, or at least their avatars made the vows. Remember, avatars are the fictional identities of people when they enter the metaverse, which is the never-never land for computer geeks. So what's the appeal? Because these virtual weddings are not legal. At least not yet. Well, they are a lot cheaper than a conventional wedding. And guests can attend virtually, so travel isn't a problem. You know, it's the destination wedding that everyone can attend. Well, you can see where all this will lead. Non-binding prenups, receptions where the food and drink are digital, virtual presents that only exist on the Internet, non-fungible, I suppose, pretend marriage counseling, and ultimately non-binding virtual divorces for people that were never together in the first place. Uh, Sometimes... I fear for civilization. For our next ads and fads, we go back to a TV commercial from the late 60s. Filmed as a series of outtakes, this commercial was cutting edge for its time. This was one of the first faux commercials for a product that didn't exist. On camera is an older Italian couple. She's serving him spaghetti and meatballs in what appears to be a commercial for spaghetti sauce. He looks at the camera and says, Mamma mia, that's a spicy meatball. (laughs) After 50 takes ruined by the actor's mistakes, they break for lunch. It's only then that we find out the actual product being advertised. What was the real product they were advertising? And for extra credit, why was the commercial pulled from the air? We'll return later with the answers. An article that picks the most significant archaeological discoveries is bound to foster some disagreement. So to get the argument started, we present a few discoveries that had an historical impact. This pod nugget is from the InterestingFacts.com website. In 1922, British archaeologists unearthed the tomb of King Tutankhamun in Egypt's Valley of the Kings. The site had remained undisturbed for more than 3,000 years and produced a huge collection of artifacts, including Tut's mummy. The discovery launched an obsession with Egyptian-style fashion, jewelry, and art, not to mention dozens of marginal mummy movies. In 1799, while digging the foundation for a new fort in Egypt, soldiers in Napoleon's army found a fragment of a tablet that had the same message written in three languages, including Egyptian hieroglyphics. The discovery, called the Rosetta Stone, enabled scholars to finally decode the meaning of hieroglyphics, arguably the world's first emoticons. In 1974, anthropologists stumbled upon Lucy, a hominid that lived in Ethiopia over three million years ago. This previously unknown ancestor walked upright, demonstrating that walking preceded brain development. This discovery that movement precedes intelligence is played out in modern times by people who text while driving. In 1947, a shepherd exploring a cave at the Dead Sea discovered a collection of religious writings on parchment and papyrus. They were written between 2,000 and 2,300 years ago. The Dead Sea Scrolls explore the ways that various Jews of the Second Temple era related to the world around them. This is likely the earliest example of tabloid journalism. 
And finally, in the 1960s, Scandinavian archaeologists located an early Viking settlement in Lonzo Meadows in Newfoundland, Canada. It proved that Norse people had visited North America at around 1000 CE, or AD if you prefer. This may not be the earliest Viking community in North America, but they did leave the biggest mess. For our next edition of Old Doggerel, we turn to Social Security. When it was created in 1935, it was intended to provide a basic monthly income to workers after they reached old age or became disabled. It's a government program that everyone seems to support. Currently, 50 million people draw benefits. However, the trust fund that covers retirement benefits is expected to be depleted by 2037. All sorts of solutions have been proposed. Extend retirement age, reduce benefits, take away benefits from wealthy recipients, increase the Social Security tax, and of course, the popular kick the can down the road. Most folks our age rely on Social Security for at least part of their retirement income. Refusing to fix the funding is confusing and unsettling, and as a result, we would like to change the name of Social Security to Social Insecurity and add it to our old doggerel dictionary. Lots of folks our age are talking about staying in their homes for as long as they can. Is your home ready for aging in place? This pod nugget is from the University of Michigan Health blog for April 22nd, 2022. Nothing compares to living in a place you've called home for many years, but often the challenges of aging make home living hazardous. Here are four basic steps you can take to make sure you can live comfortably as you get older. First, start planning now if you haven't already. By planning ahead, you can maintain your independence a lot longer, no matter what health-related changes come up. You may find that you need to adapt your home for easy access and mobility, or that your home isn't readily adaptable and you'll need to think about moving. Second, take specific small steps to make aging in place easier. That may include railings and grab bars, more lighting, non-skid rugs and mats on floors, and non-skid surfaces on stairs. Place furniture so you're not running into it. Get rid of stuff piling up on the floor. Invest in technology like a doorbell camera, automated locks, and motion-sensing lights. Consider a wearable device for emergency communication. Third, think about bigger projects to adapt your home to fit your needs. These may include bathroom remodels, configuring rooms for one-level living, building ramps, and maybe even installing a stair lift. And fourth, ask for or pay for help. People who are self-reliant need to know that it's no shame to need help. Get it from family, friends, and government or private services. Free or low-cost help is available. For the complete article, Go to healthblog.uofmhealth.org and type age in place on the search line. And here's the answers for today's ads and fads. The on-camera actor got an upset stomach from too many spicy meatballs. And so he reached for Alka-Seltzer to solve the problem. Well, in certain markets, the ad was pulled after protests from Italian-American groups claiming the ad promoted unflattering stereotypes of Italians. Well, I can understand that. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, that's what was funny. (laughs) 
Ted Swindley is a successful producer, director, and theater manager who hasn't slowed down in his 70s. Over the years, he has helped launch new plays, consulted on adaptations, and directed over 200 productions. Ted is best known for developing and producing a new kind of musical theater in 1997, the worldwide hit, always, Patsy Cline. We spoke with Ted in Nashville, where he's working on yet another breakthrough musical. Ted, to get this uh, interview swinging, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the starting point for stages back in the late 70s. You were in a location downtown, right? That uh-huh. was that was yeah. subject to flooding, as I recall. Well, let me tell you a little bit about that place. And um, we were in the basement of an old building, the old Magnolia Brewery building. And we were in the basement, and above us was a Chinese restaurant, and their dishwasher would leak over our center section of seats. <laughs> so there were times that we would have to put a tarp up. When audiences were there, we'd say, wait, we'll take care of it. But then the other thing that we had is being on, we were on the bayou. And so on the bayou, we had um, critters come in. And one night, a raccoon wobbled on stage in the middle of a show <laughs> and looked, looked at the audience and said, hi, and then left. And the actors actually had the presence of mind just to let the raccoon have its moment. And then the raccoon left and they went on with the show. So it was quite a great uh starting point and the reason we moved is because the fire marshal was saying you're too successful you have too many people down here and they padlocked the doors and we couldn't get in you found Mm -hmm. a really great space how did that come about well it was interesting when that happened and uh the board of directors we were like oh gosh you know what what should we do we had a um board member named bill nyhouse and bill was a very well-known architect here in town and bill knew of this building on allen parkway which is where we moved um and it was a sweet place i loved it we're not there anymore of course we moved uh into a 34 million dollar three theater beautiful facility right next to the old theater well, this was going on, Ted. Did you have any idea at all that uh, Stages was going to grow as it has? One of the turning points for me, we did a play called Bent. And Bent was about um, gays in the Nazi concentration camps. And it was a very powerful, very stark drama. And uh, I said, well, this will be the test. Now, I didn't have enough money to open it. I went to the actors. I said, look, we can go home. We can keep rehearsing. They all said, let's keep rehearsing. We went on for a month. And, well, we opened, and there were lines around the block. People just responded to it. And I always say that that was really the moment that I said, okay, we're on the right track. Let's keep going. Between right. the time that you were successfully developing uh, yes. stages, somehow yes. you got it in your head to say, I want to create this musical, and I want it to be about Patsy Cline. What possessed you to want to do that? And did you ever dream it was going to be as successful as it was? Well, let's put it this way. I was not possessed with it. I hardly knew who Patsy Cline was. <laughs> really, truly. I mean, I think I'd heard of Crazy. I think that might have been the only thing I remembered. But what happened was, it was the summer of 88, and it was terribly uh i think the air conditioning broke at one point and 
Oh, we were just in a horrible place. And I said, the show opened August the 4th. I remember that. And I just said, oh, my God, I have got to get something in here that is maybe going to be commercial enough to, um, you know, work. So there was a singer in my company, and she had bothered me for two years. kept saying, I want to sing Patsy Klein. I want to sing Patsy Klein. I was like, who in the hell is Patsy Klein? What are you talking about? So I don't know what occurred to me. I thought for some reason that rung a bell, and I, I went to her, and I said, tell me about Patsy Klein. And she said, well, blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, that's intriguing. I said, bring me all of her albums and I think at that time cassette player. And I stayed in my house for a weekend and I went, oh my God. I said, this is the most fabulous repertoire of songs to choose from. And then I, the question I say that changed my life was I did not want to write a bio. I just didn't want, I hate bio musicals. And, you know, I didn't want to just do a club act or a review. So I asked the question, did Patsy Cline ever play in Houston? Well, we found in a bio an interview with a lady who had met Patsy here in Houston for one night at the Esquire Ballroom out on the Hempstead Highway. It was a short interview, and I thought, hmm, this may work. So I worked on it, and I cobbled something together in about two and a half weeks we opened it and it was an instant instant hit because patsy has such a big following and no the answer is no i never really expected it because i put it in the drawer after we we kept running it and running it back and forth back and forth and opening it and closing it and opening and closing it and it saved the theater my follow-up question was going to be, how many different productions have there been of Always Patsy Cline? Hundreds. It's been playing consistently for 35 years, and we're still booking, and it's a touching and funny. It's funny as hell uh, because this woman is just a riot, and Patsy's a riot, and they, they have a great time. And it's about friendship, and it's about a fantasy that I think we all have. You take your idol, any idol. Who is your idol? Who is your the celebrity that you would most like to have dinner with or have them spend the night at your house? And that's what this was about. So after that, I put it in the store for two years, and I went to another theater, and uh, they said, um, you know, we don't usually do a summer musical, but do you have anything? And I said, you know, I'll pull that old Patsy Klein thing out the door work on it made it into two acts it was a one actor to begin with and i hope why i don't know i opened it on july the 4th and it was packed it was 600 seat theater and it was packed every night we had to hire more people for the box office app. and i want to tell you my favorite my favorite box office story a woman called there one day and she said i would like tickets to almost that decline <laughs> and the name of the show, the name of the show is always yeah, Patsy Klein, yeah. but she wanted to see, she wanted to see almost Patsy Klein. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but then after that, we went to Charleston to the Plato Festival, and then to Atlanta. Then, by a whole nother story, we were invited to do a one nighter at the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville, 
that was the most nerve-wracking. We did it in New York. But that was nothing compared to the Grand Ole Opry. I mean, everybody, 12, 1,400 people were there, and the family was there, and all, a lot of the songwriters were there. And I thought, well, this is it. This is the test. Well, we got a huge standing ovation, and we got a call in two weeks and said, look, we're reopening the old Ryman Auditorium where the, where the Grand Ole Opry was for about 40 years, and it's where Patsy performed. And they said, we would like your show to reopen the building. Oh, so we fantastic. went and we were on that stage where Patsy had performed. It was opening night. I was weeping the whole time, just about. And it ran first time. It ran for six months, 1200 seats, mostly full. I mean, it was full. I mean, it got to the point that it was always full. It ran for six months, closed it. Then we did another six months. And then through the years, we've done about nine performances in that venue and every time it sells out and after that it, you know just it just exploded and ultimately we did it everywhere and i even did um a production in australia and it's had three national tours of australia it's played in england uh you know all through england and the funniest one was we it was we we licensed the show to be done in Denmark. And I thought, what are we doing? And what they did is they translated the text into Danish and Patsy sang in English. And I wish sure. I'd gone to see it. <laughs> <laughs> You've done so much more than that. And many other musicals, uh, a lot yeah. of them uh, are still being performed all over the country. Is there any oh, yeah. other of your musicals that you particularly want to talk about? Well, that's a good story. I'll, I will tell you this one thing. I'm wor I have been working on a new concept for musicals. I thought, well, the jukebox musical is great. How can I take that to another level? I'm working on what is called a karaoke musical, and it's called Miss American Pie. And what it is, this piece was a play. It's a wonderful comedy set in America in the 1990s. And what happens is, if you did it as a jukebox musical, like Mamma Mia or something, it's that concept. You do, you know, you do that, and then you do songs from that period as the story goes on, and that's the jukebox musical. Then I thought, hmm, wouldn't it be interesting if when songs came up, there was a karaoke screen behind the set, and that I created a character called Miss American Pie, you know, with a crown on, and she leads the audience singing the songs with the characters during the show. And we've tried that out, and it's not finished yet, but it's, I believe that concept may work. Now, I shouldn't have just said that, because somebody's going to hear this and go, oh, we'll do it first. Oh, God, we're <laughs> done. Well, Ted, you've been a successful playwright, a director, theater manager. How would you like to be remembered? I would like to be known for being kind to people. And I hope that my life has been an inspiration, of course, to artists. Well, first of all, I know one thing. I'm a disruptor. But even in the disruption of what I do, I hope... I have never demeaned a person. I have never called a person out or personally attacked them. 
and I, of course, in today's time, and I won't mention any names, there's a lot of personal attack going on. But I've never done that. I've been very cognizant of that. And I hope that I will be remembered for being a kind person and a good friend. That's important to me. For more information on Ted and his available productions, visit tedswindleyproductions.com. Like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We can always use more listeners. There are more episodes on the way, so stay tuned and keep howling at the moon.